and welcome to episode number eight of Id, Ego, and Us. I'm Shreya. I'm Julia. And today we'll be talking about flights, flawlessness, theories, and frost giants in our three old segments and one new segment. The ones that you know already are Unsolved Mysteries, Food for Thought, and Greek Mythology, but the last segment is a surprise, and we think that you guys will be excited for this one, so listen until the end of the episode to find out what it is. With that being said, let's get into our first segment, Unsolved Mysteries. Welcome! Today's Unsolved Mystery is Flight 19. Before I start, I'd like to say that I may be discussing some triggering events as Flight 19 did end fatally. So if this is something, uh, some sort of trauma-inducing event for you, I'd recommend you skip ahead a few minutes, but I won't be discussing anything too gory and it's just the mystery of it all that may be traumatic. With that, today's Unsolved Mystery is Flight 19. This is a generally well-known topic, I would say, but not many people know the details. Flight 19 was actually a collection of five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers that took flight from Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And each of these flights had three heavily trained Marines, except for one, which only had two on it. They were sent out to perform a three-hour training exercise known as Navigation Problem Number 1, which called them to head east from the coast of Florida and conduct bombing runs at Henson Chicken Shoals, which is an area of the ocean, uh, so it's obviously uninhabited by humans. From there, they were meant to go north to the Grand Bahama Island, then southwest back to their base. As you could probably deduce from their name, other Marines had made this flight 18 times, and so this was the 19th flight that this was being made, and those 18 other flights went by uh, with no problems. Flight 19 arrived at Hens and Chicken Shoals and conducted their practice as normal. And then, when they were meant to turn north, this was where the unsolved mystery began. So the flight's leader, Lieutenant Charles C., an experienced pilot and veteran, became convinced that his Avenger's compass was malfunctioning and that the planes had been flying in the wrong direction. Their troubles only got worse when a front blew in and it brought rain and gusting winds and heavy clouds and cloud coverage with it. And they became so lost that the pilot radioed in saying, I don't know where we are and we must have gotten lost after the last turn. Their command team heard the radio communications and asked if they needed help, but Taylor was new to Fort Lauderdale. He had just transferred to Miami and didn't know the area too well, but he was convinced that they had strayed hundreds of miles off course and ended up just over the Florida Keys. Since then, many have speculated that he mistook the islands of the Bahamas for the Keys. Now, in most cases, pilots that are lost at sea are meant to point their planes towards the setting sun and fly west toward the mainland. But Taylor was so convinced that he was over the Gulf of Mexico that he steered them northwest, hoping to locate the Florida Peninsula, but in actuality, he was taking them even farther out to sea. Some of his other pilots that had been there uh, for longer recognized he made a mistake, and he was eventually persuaded to turn around and head west, but a few hours later, he seemed to have canceled that order and changed directions once more. He didn't think they'd gone far enough east, and he worried that they might still be in the Gulf, so he decided to turn around and go east once more. Many believe that his pilots argued uh, argued against this decision, and investigators think that one plane even broke off and flew in a different direction, but most followed their commander's lead. The radio, radio signal became faint as they flew off into the sea, and Taylor called for the planes to come closer together as they were running out of fuel to prepare for a crash landing in the ocean. 
He warned them that if one plane went under the 10-gallon mark, then they would all jump, and a few minutes later, they lost complete radio communication. The Navy sent search planes to search for the missing patrol and even boats. 20 minutes later, one of these search patrols seemed to follow Flight 19's lead and suddenly vanished off the radar. That mariner had 13 crewmen, and it's never been recovered. Despite this, many believe it to have exploded shortly after takeoff as those flying boats that they were on uh, were notoriously accident-prone. Uh, moving on, though, the next day, the Navy dispatched more than 300 boats and aircraft to look for Flight 19 and the missing mariner. They spent five days searching over 300,000 square miles of territory, but found nothing. There's really been no clear explanation for their disorientation, um, and the members of each flight were eventually deemed lost to causes of reasons unknown. Uh, again, these details are very hard to recover, and, be and what he was thinking in the moment, why he decided to turn which way, because uh, they lost this radio communication. Despite this, Flight 19 has been played out to its max, with wild theories ranging from the Bermuda Triangle to flying saucers taking them away to the deserts of Mexico. Suffice to say, Flight 19 has been an enigma to all. I'd love to give you all one big happy ending, but there isn't really, so that's all we have on Unsolved Mysteries today. Let's move on to Food for Thought. Welcome to the second segment of the episode, Food for Thought. Today's question is, why do people strive for perfection even though it cannot be attained? Julia, would you like to go first? I would, uh, just to reiterate the question. Why do we strive for perfection even if it's not attainable? So, I believe that all humans have a desire to do things well. And I think that this desire has set a social standard for the general public. A standard that either people are willing to follow because they believe it will lead them to success, or they feel pressured by all of the perfection striving people in their proximity that they themselves fall subject to it. But I also think that this question is extremely limited by calling us people. Uh, I hate to stray from the question so early on, but I also think that these aren't the only two options, that there are people in the world who don't strive for perfection, rather they strive for their own best, but then again, this might also be described as perfection, you know, your own best is your perfection, uh, but then if you think about it further, there are just people that are unmotivated for one reason or another, which is completely valid, and they lose this desire to do things to the best of their extent, or perfectly, so they just do whatever they'd like, you know? So, I think that the people who are striving for perfection are doing so because of an inadvertent will or pressure, and those striving for their own personal best are doing it for themselves, and those not doing their best or striving for perfection are simply lacking in motivation. Shreya, do you uh, have any thoughts on this? Um, yes, I do. Um, I feel like I'm going to add on to a little bit about what you said about people reaching goals right and I feel like people are naturally inclined to do amazing things and when I say amazing it can be amazingly intuitive it can be amazingly shocking and sometimes it can be amazingly stupid um people are amazing uh we're really humans are the smartest species and I feel like we have goals and I feel like attaining perfection is one of them. Um, so uh, 
Imagine you are a football player and you want to become the perfect football player. Uh, you practice every single day, you do drills, uh, you put in as much effort as you can to learn all the strategies, all the moves, uh, everything, and you train yourself really well and you play all these games in order to become the perfect football player. But of course we know that perfection is not attainable. Um, so now, I think that we understand that if you're trying to be perfect and you're motivated to be perfect, I think that you could still do great things along the way because there's this one like motivational quote. It's like, shoot for the moon because even if you miss, at least you'll land among the stars. Um, I think it goes something like that. I don't know if it's exactly that, but um, I 100% agree with that quote because... Um, going back to the football player analogy if you are putting in all this effort you won't be perfect but you will be experienced you'll be an amazing player but you won't be a perfect one and that is still great if you can't be perfect at least you'll be the best out of like all your teammates at least you'll be uh the most experienced so i i feel like perfection is a is a motivator and not an award it is a motivator for people that want to achieve great things. Um, so that's pretty much all I have to say about this. Do you have anything else to say after what I just said? Uh, yeah, just one last remark is that I think you, I heard you say something about if we're striving for effort, uh, striving for effort, <laughs> striving for perfection, we're putting in the effort to get there. And even obviously perfection is... I would say unattainable, but if you're putting in the effort to reach perfection, then you will still achieve great things, and I think that's absolutely true, and I just wanted to say that I really agree with that. Uh, since we've both finished off our thoughts, I'm going to move us right on to mythology. Today's mythology segment is about the Furies. So, we're going to be leaning a bit more on the Roman mythology side of things today, uh, and they do have a Greek counterpart, as most gods and goddesses do, but the Roman name, the Furies, is just more well-known, so I've decided to go with that perspective. If you'd like to cross-reference the Roman beliefs of the Greek ones, though, the Greeks referred to the Furies as Irenaeus, uh, spelled with an E. Okay, so if you can recall back to episode 4, last time I was the one who did Greek mythology, we discussed the fates. They don't really have a huge correlation or anything, but I thought it would be a sensical order to proceed with if you'd like to compare them, because they do have some similarities. So, like the Fates, the Furies are a trio of powerful female beings, so they were the goddesses of vengeance and retribution. Before we continue, here's a bit of a description for imagery purposes. They were depicted as ugly, winged women with hair, arms, and waists entwined with poisonous serpents. They wielded whips and were either dressed entirely in long back robes of mourners or the short length skirts and boots of huntress maidens. So their goal was to punish men for crimes against the natural order, such as swearing a false oath or committing an evil act, which ranged from being against another human or even higher beings, such as Titan, a god, etc. Any victim seeking justice could call down a curse from of the Furies on the criminal, so this justice or vengeance, whatever you may call it, could be brought upon in many different ways. The most severe of their punishments was inflicting madness upon a patricide or matricide. 
They'd also cause uh, murderers to suffer from illness or disease, and nations harboring such criminals could face death, hunger, and or disease, along with many other punishments. These punishments could only be diluted by the right ritual purification and some sort of a task for forgiveness. As for the Furies themselves, their creation is unclear. Like multiple is instances in mythology, there are different, a lot of different versions of the story. Most myths agree that they were born from the blood of Uranus and Gaia. They are also referred to as the Chthonic deities, deities, however you'd like to say it, meaning they had some relation to the underworld. They were the servants of Hades and Persephone, charged with the torture of criminals consigned to the dungeons of the damned. For this reason, and the brutality of their punishments, they are generally perceived and assumed to be quote-unquote evil, but again, their main purpose was to achieve justice. That's all we've got on the Furies today. Moving on, we're going to go into our new segment. Okay, this is the surprise segment. If you remember in last week's episode in our Would You Rather segment, one of our questions was, would you rather team up with Captain America or Captain Marvel? We enjoy talking about superheroes so much that we decided to start a Marvel segment. So for the first time, we're doing a whole segment just about Marvel. But if you have not watched any Marvel movies so far, we suggest that you skip this segment since there are major spoilers. We'll give you a moment. Hi guys, so as I was editing, I noticed that I messed up and said seven realms instead of nine realms. So every single time I say seven realms in this segment, I meant nine realms. That was a mistake on my part and I apologize, but yeah, here I am correcting it. And we're back. Okay, let's get right into it. Loki is coming out on June 9th, 2021, and there are many events that led up to it, and it's been quite the roller coaster. A long, 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 long time ago, there were wars between the Seven Realms, and to help win these wars, Odin, the king of Asgard, had the dwarves make a very powerful weapon known as the Mjolnir, and gave it to his oldest daughter, Hela. But Hela is very violent, and she killed a lot of people, which inspired Odin to rethink being involved in war and make peace with the Seven Realms. This angered Hela, and she started a fight, but Odin imprisoned her somewhere and took away the Mjolnir. A while later, the Frost Giants enter the scene and try to freeze Earth with the Casket of Winters, but Odin stops them. The king of the frost giants looks at one of the newborn frost giants and is disappointed by the size of it, so he abandons it. Odin decides to take the frost giant into shelter and raises it in hopes of restoring peace between the frost giants and the Asgardians. Now fast forward to where we actually see Loki in the movies. We first see him in the first Thor movie. The movie, of course, takes place in Asgard, one of the Seven Realms. Loki becomes the youngest son of Odin and Frigga, and he's also the brother of Thor. Thor, being the older child, would be king someday, but Loki was tired of being in Thor's shadow. Thor was known to humans as the god of thunder, and Loki was known as the god of mischief. On the day that Thor is being named king, the frost giants broke into Asgard and tried to steal back the casket of winters. Thor wanted to fight the frost giants, but Odin wanted to maintain peace. Thor, being Thor, goes anyway and almost starts a war. Now, when Thor went to fight the frost giants, he took Loki and some of his other friends, and Loki noticed that he was not affected by the frost giants' uh, powers like the others were. 
But before things got too serious, Odin came in and stopped the fight. He was so upset that Thor was acting like Hela, so he banished Thor from Asgard, took away the Mjolnir, and put a spell on it so that anyone worthy enough could pick it up. Around this time, Loki finds out that he is a frost giant and confronts Odin about it, but Odin is so shocked that he goes into an Odin sleep, which is a coma-like state that helps Odin stay alive for so long. When Thor is on Earth, he quickly realizes that he is no longer worthy of the Mjolnir and works on regaining his birth. Loki goes to Earth to tell Thor that Odin is dead and claims the throne. Then Thor's other friends tell him that Odin is just in Odin's sleep, but Loki didn't approve of that, so he sent a robot to Earth to kill all of them. Thor, who is way more down to Earth now, sacrifices himself for the safety of his friends, and that makes him regain his worthiness. Uh, this happens uh, just as Loki lets the Frost Giants into Asgard but backstabs his birth father as a way to show Odin that he is better than Thor. Odin wakes up and is not too impressed with Loki's tricks. This gets Loki really upset and then he goes to take over Earth. While doing so, he is also helping Thanos, who wants to wipe out half the population of the universe, collect the Infinity Stones, which obviously give him an infinite amount of power. Thanos gives Loki a scepter with the Mind Stone in it so he can control people so that they both can achieve their goals. Loki even tries to control the minds of the Avengers, but that doesn't work out and they capture Loki. Now, this is where it gets a bit more confusing, and I'm going to repeat, there are major spoilers for Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, so if you have not watched them yet, what are you doing? Go watch them right- just kidding. But seriously, you should leave right now because oh, we don't want to spoil it for you. So fast forward a few movies. Thanos successfully uses all the Infinity Stones to erase half the universe. And the Avengers then have to go back in time in order to retrieve all the Infinity Stones to bring everyone back. In order to get the Tesseract, which is actually the Space Stone, Ant-Man gives Iron Man a heart attack and one mishap leads to another and the Space Stone falls in Loki's hands. He takes advantage of that and escapes and we don't see him anywhere after that. Iron Man does eventually get the Space Stone, but not from Loki, he gets it from a different timeline. And after they bring everyone back from the blip, uh, Captain America puts all the stones back into their own timelines to restore it. So this means that Loki is in some alternate timeline and he's not actually Loki, but a variant of Loki. And the Disney Plus original, Loki, explores what happens to Loki after the events in Avengers Endgame. Again, Loki is coming out Wednesday, June 9th, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Be sure to check it out because I think that everyone will enjoy it because Loki is often portrayed as a humorous character and I'm expecting some good action scenes with, like, you know, comedy scenes mixed in. So I feel like everyone should be able to enjoy it even if they are not hardcore Marvel fans. Um, I feel like Disney Plus has had a enormous success with the Disney Plus shows, the Marvel shows, uh, so um, more things to check out actually. There's WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Both are also like Loki, there are shows. And uh, that ends this episode. So we hope you liked our new segment. If you would like to uh, have more Marvel content, please DM us on Twitter and give us different topics to talk about or different heroes to talk about. And uh, thanks for listening and see you next time on Id, Ego, and Us. Mm-hmm.